right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Innovation Crush. There's already laughing starting. I haven't even... Uh, another episode of Innovation Crush. Um, my name is Chris Denson, at Densonology on Twitter. I'm trying to get my Twitter followers up. I want to be like you. Um, when I say you, I'm talking to the woman on my left by the name of Tamika Key. What is your What is your Twitter handle? It's Twitter. It's at Geeky Chic. Geeky Chic. I like that. Yeah. Um, and why did, why did you choose that as a Twitter handle? Because I'm a complete geek but you know I kind of got a little bit of polish yes no, I, I like I enjoy the vest the little vest right yes. yeah yes um, and yeah I'm, I'm a former reporter and a content consultant and creator slash gamer ah um, ah then you you are in the right place yes. at the right time because we are here with the woman who single handed no just kidding <laughs> um, inside joke I'm not gonna let you say <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't you introduce yourself sure and you know, tell me your name and who you are because this is this is an exciting one. I'm, I'm glad you're here. So I'm Robin Kaminsky. Um, I'm currently run a consulting business called First Street Partners, but I like to think of myself as somebody who helps um, entrepreneurs and business people figure out how to make their dreams come true, how to make their businesses big, and how to make their businesses make money. Um, I spent a bunch of time, and I still spend a bunch of time in the video game category. Um, for a while, um, I ran. Activision's video game business, and I was lucky enough to work with some great, highly talented people. And there, you single-handedly... No, I did not. <laughs> Jason West built the Call of Duty business. They are rock stars, um, but I was very lucky to work with incredibly talented people like Vince and Jason, um, building great games That's like awesome. Call of Duty. Yes. Um, and before that, I worked in traditional packaged goods. Um, mm-hmm. I worked at Pepsi. I was you know, really proud to be part of a team that built the Activision. Aquafina business. I worked on Mountain Dew, um, which is really where I got turned on to gaming. Um, before that, that makes sense. Yep. Before that, I <laughs> worked at Coke. Sense. Um, and before that, I worked at Revlon. And before that, I worked at Johnson and Johnson. I've worked at an ad agency, and I've worked with awesome people. And you know, I um, have been very lucky. You know, it's better to be lucky than smart. Yeah. <laughs> so it takes one to know one when you start saying awesome people that you that you've worked with. Um, that's an interesting career path mm-hmm. you know <laughs> like how does that happen you, um just going from packaged goods to and i see the video game and pe- you know no, no, do connection but it's it's very it's that's light yeah you know activision um came and wanted somebody who had packaged goods experience in marketing i started in marketing at activision for a short time before i started including um um, running the development side of the business. And um, I was really turned on by video games and technology and consumer technology. It moves much quicker than packaged goods. It changes all the time. It's far more innovative. Um, execution plays an enormous role. You right. know, it's funny. I would say that my experience at Activision and then even post-Activision now working with entrepreneurs in technology, that those experiences are far more similar to my experience at Revlon, which also moved very quickly. Really? And the past didn't dictate the future. Then my experience at Pepsi or Coke or J&J, where, quite frankly, the past, in large part, often does dictate the future. Right. So what do you, like, what did you say would, is like a common thread? You know, because I, I have a similar career mm-hmm. path and probably not as successful as you. But or you, more successful. <laughs> but no, it's just kind of like you go from sort of one vertical to another to a, you know, to a different one. And there are worlds you probably haven't lived in. You don't seem like you might have been a gamer prior. Like, I wasn't a gamer prior. In your prior. Revlon days, right? Nope, that would be definitely so, true. So, so what are some of like the, just the, the principles that you kind of took from one station to the next? And even now, like in your consulting role in yep. the world. Well, you know, I feel um, honored that one of the skills that I'm able to do is apply things I've learned in one industry to another very successfully. So to figure out what the commonalities are and right. sort of avoid what isn't, um, doesn't matter. 
But the reality is, is figuring out what makes people tick and what makes them want to spend money doesn't really differ between categories. Mm. So, you know, it is about tying into human emotion. It is about tying into social behavior. It is about figuring out how to get somebody to care about something. And that doesn't matter whether, you know, the first product I ever worked on in an ad agency was dental, dental adhesive. (laughs) <laughs> fix it right. denture fix it I worked on fixing it and fasting <laughs> um, how did you know that first of all you have beautiful teeth but I'm, are those real can no, I knock on them I'm just a weird ad person okay no, but I worked on fixing it fast teeth absolutely and so you know that was a really different business but the reality is getting people to care it isn't just about sort of what the product does you have to tie into something that actually means something to right. them um, and now, you know, I look, a lot of what I do is right now is digital. So it's um, mobile games, it is e commerce. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I look at those businesses, and much of what gets people to spend money has to do with their relationships with other people, right? Mm-hmm. Not just what physically you're giving them. And in what capacity? Like their relationships with other people, like as far as. Tamika and I being social media friends or like what when you Well, so clans in a game would be a right. really good example. Um one of the things we'll get people to spend a lot of money is let's say I in some sort of mission or program in a game, I'm able to blow up one of your assets or mm-hmm. kill one of your characters or take you down, basically. Right. You're pretty emotionally involved in getting back at me. Well, I might be involved in a clan and you might be involved in a clan. Now all those people are involved in that, if you will, emotional tension. Right. And people right. will spend money to free that emotional tension. That makes sense. No, that makes total sense. Um, so, you know, a little bit on your background, right? Where yep. did where did this all come from for you? Where did this passion for? I, I like to call it creative problem solving, right? It doesn't okay. matter where the problem is. It's just kind of like let's solve it. Let's figure it out, yep. right? Dentures become sexy because you just enjoy the puzzle. They were so not sexy. <laughs> <laughs> My dentures are sexy, though, right? Can um, you? Your can you dentures tell? are sexy, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but no, like, what is it about your personality? Are you like, are you a natural tinkerer or, you know, was there something like that from your childhood that you've taken with you to, to now? I don't like to lose. Like, it's not actually more complicated than that. Right. I don't like to lose in the marketplace. I don't like to lose in the field when I'm playing a sport. I don't like to lose. And right. so, you know, the need to solve the problems has everything to do with wanting to be the winner on the field and wanting to be the winner in the business. Um, you know, I will never forget, I had not been long at Activision. I did an interview um, with a gaming um, uh, magazine, basically. And I made a comment that I wouldn't have joined Activision if I didn't think we could be number one. And this was at a time when Activision definitely was not number one, okay? <laughs> and I came back and I got all this grief from the people I worked with, you know, why would you poke the bear? And we're a long way from beating EA. And I was like, there's nothing to stop us from doing that. And I don't know if it'll be next year or the year after. And it wasn't that long after that that we were, in fact, number one. But the reality is there's nothing to stop us from doing that. And that's where it all comes from. It comes from this desire to be successful, to win. Um, It's a thing I, when I look at entrepreneurs that I want to work with, one of the first questions I ask myself in my head is, does this person really want to win? Does this person not just want to play, but do they want to be successful in making this big? Hmm. Yeah. Um, That number one spot, right? Going after that number one spot, at least in the case of Activision, what was that transition like? You know what? How did what were either a, a tactic or the emotional moment when you like yeah. you finally realized this is working? You know, just kind of walk us through. A, well, I, I'd like to say it was all about having great hit games, and I'm not going to take anything away that that wasn't part of it. But do you know what the biggest part was? It was f- being able to make calls much quicker on not spending money against things that weren't going to work. Hmm. So it was 
if you will, clearing the path so that the stuff that worked right. really could work well and turn a lot of money back to the company. Don't get in your own way. Don't get in your own way. People have a hard time letting go of things that aren't working. Mm. You know, Entrepreneurs that are successful, in my opinion, don't just have great innovation often, don't just have great problem solving, but they're able to look at all the children they've created yeah. and, um, and, and let kill go one off and kill the ones off that, that aren't going to be <laughs> successful. Exactly right. I mean, these aren't your physical children in the sense of human beings. So it's okay to kill a couple But it feels off. like it to some of them, right? It like it, fe- it feels like it, but you know, easier to do at a smaller company as opposed to a, to, to a large company like, like an Activision or is it harder? Is it harder to do if you're the incumbent as opposed to the challenger? I think it's hard for incumbents to let go of places where they're already making money, whether those things are going to work in the future mm-hmm. or not. So I think that's the problem of a large incumbent, is that you are addicted. It's heroin. You're addicted <laughs> to the drug, even if that drug is dying. I mean, look at those poor music companies. Yeah. Um, you know, Or Blockbuster. Or blockbuster. blockbuster. I mean, you just can't let go. You don't, you're unwilling to let go of the things that are turning the money out today or have been the things that have driven success in the past. Um, human beings are tough to make change. They don't aren't comfortable making change. So from that standpoint, I think that's the incumbent's problem. I think the smaller company's problem is they are their babies. They're typically the guy running the business actually created the mm-hmm. 10 things they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so they have a hard time letting go. Sometimes it's youth. Um, you know, it is, I've never done anything different. And so I don't know how to do other things necessarily. Right. And as innovative as they may have been, you know, they're afraid in some cases of figuring out what comes next. Yeah. Um, but the best companies, the companies that live for long periods of time and the companies that build huge businesses, they create something that's never been done before um, or do something that's been done before better than anybody else. And then they are maniacal about focusing on that and then also equally maniacal on making change when they have to make change mm-hmm. to be successful. Well, it's also, it's interesting. I've been reading this book called uh, The Power of Habit, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like the, uh, the things you do in life and, and in business, um, which is interesting because you, it sounds like sort of that need to hold on to something it actually becomes a habit, right? And, and so how do you go about, as, from a consultant standpoint, of breaking the habit? Right, because it's one thing to be like, okay, you guys got to let go, and you know, I'm going to draw the numbers on the whiteboard, and you know, yep. uh, and they're like, mm-hmm. uh, so tomorrow we're going <laughs> to go right back out to what we said we were going to do. So how do you like? How do you go about breaking the habit? So you know, I would like to say that I was 100 percent successful all the time in doing that, but I'm not. Okay. So, but what I try to do is get people to see to step back. So I have the advantage as a consultant when I come into a company that I don't always have when I'm in the company, Mm -hmm. which is that I'm not emotionally married in the same way to all the things they're doing. All I really care about is helping them figure out how to make money and grow. Like Mm -hmm. that may be about helping them find funding or whatever, but it is about helping them make money and grow. And so I can look at it and say, well, let's break this down and figure out what's going on and point out and help them see things they aren't always able to see. But, you know, I've actually had drag out fights with clients. I mean, I'm not shy about offering my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can tell, you can tell I'm real shy and retiring, right? I'm just waiting um, for the foul language to begin. No, I don't do foul language, except around game, uh, except around game developers. Um, so, um, but, you know, I've had drag out, all out drag out fights around, you know, you can continue to bang your head against the wall and don't be surprised that it hurts and you're bleeding, right? right. And tomorrow right. when you do it again, it's gonna hurt and you're gonna bleed. And, um, but all I can do is help them try to see it. Right. The guys that I keep working with, that I work with for long periods of time, 
they see it. Oftentimes they're saying to me, no, no, I, I get that you think that this is working and yeah, it's working, but I can make it work better. I can do it differently. Right. I work with a company now called Machine Zone. They are awesome. Mm. And one of the things that truly makes them awesome is not only does their CEO and, and founder really understand what makes people tick within a free-to-play game, mm-hmm. like totally gets it, like from a mind, emotional, social standpoint, but he has no n- issue whatsoever in changing what he's doing to make it more successful. Right. And so I love working with him because I can go in there and say, okay, this is working and this is not. Let's talk about what's not. Okay, what else could you do? What are your other options? And he is like, okay, let's go figure out how to make it better. I think so. All three of us are consultants, right? And I think that's one of those things that you that that I've learned is you 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 can't be afraid to tell your client this does not work. This is why you brought me here. This is that's why you exactly right. Yeah. And like because a lot of the times I've found like. Sometimes when someone switches to working with me, they're like, well, the 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 content person I was working with before never said this made sense. And I'm like, look, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't effing make sense. You know, I'm trying not to. <laughs> no, you can cuss on the <laughs> show. I'm just saying that you cuss on the me. I don't cuss. <laughs> sometimes you, oh, you have to tell me your idea sucks. But you have to figure out how to say it in a, you know, in a way. Don't just say your idea sucks. It's also your idea sucks. Here's why and here's how we're going to make it better. Yeah, that's right? exactly right. Yeah. No, exactly. You have to make it. You have to make the proposition make sense and being attractive. And not, not only that, I think it is instilling the process by which that change can happen. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, that's always the missing. Like it may sound great to go over to that side of the room, but you know, there's a bunch of shit on the floor. And... Right. Well, how are we going to do it? <laughs> right. How are we going to get there? What are the what are the risks along the way? How do you mitigate risk? Right. I mean, a lot of you asked. You know, what what was the turning point for Activision? I'd argue, and I've turned around or built three billion dollar businesses okay and why don't you stick around on innovation crush for a little while Just, you know. i want to talk to you a little bit <laughs> um and you know the part of it is working with great people and i think i started that you know i've had, right. been really lucky to work with awesome people but a big giant and a big chunk of it is figuring out you know what's working and not working and walking away from what's not working but some of it quite frankly is also being highly solution oriented it isn't good enough just to say it's not working right it's then being able to figure out what is working and then going back to the risk mitigation and what are we going to do to eliminate as much of the risk as possible in getting there so um, not making this craps. We're not playing a game of rolling right. the dice and seeing what numbers come up. We are we are loading the dice. We are going to increase substantially our chances right. of getting it right. Um, and you know, from we had an interesting conversation before, and it stuck with me some months ago when we first met. Um, was just kind of like the scientific part of what makes people tick, right? Not just the cool things in the marketplace, like Absolutely oh, that's not. a great the iPhone is cool, and the, you know, but the real like neuroscientific synapses mm-hmm. you were talking about, yeah. um, you know, just at, at least in the in the gaming world, right, where you've got a rabid fan base and they're loyal, and like you said, the clans, and it's an emotional experience, more emotional than going to a movie or watching a TV show. Um, just, I don't know, I, this is a poor segue on, on my part, but um, kind of just walk us through some of those key points that you've come across in terms of the neuroscience of what you do. Well, look, I am not a neuroscientist. neuroscientist. I'm not a no, scientist, right? So I don't know that I can answer your question around what you're asking about the neuroscience. What I can tell you is there are very specific objective things you can look at, okay? So the questions I would ask if I was trying to get someone to spend money is what am I doing and what can I doing that makes this more social? And social isn't just you know that people are connected to each other, mm-hmm. right? I- I'm sorry, there's a whole host of Facebook games that are now 
not very successful because far more social engagement occurred in games. And you, you didn't – that whole concept of just visiting people's farms is no longer social enough, mm-hmm. right? So what are you doing that is really connecting people with people and getting people's emotions involved? So, you know, how social really is your engagement tool, particularly in games, but even in e-commerce, mm-hmm. right? Not just am I recommending this to people, but can I get people to um, see – can I get somebody to actually recommend? Um, is there a way for either you to have a sense of um, accomplishment, um, even a sense of failure? Any strong emotion is good. Right. So the second thing is what's emotional about what I'm doing, mm-hmm. right? Not just, well, I've got a product that people care about. No, but what are you offering them and how you're presenting that product that actually creates some emotion? And it doesn't always have to be a good emotion. It can equally be a bad emotion, right? Right. Emotion is good get to getting people spend money. So those two things are probably the most important pieces of it. And then the second thing is, how are you doing it that's easy for people to enter, but hard for people to give up? So one of the things when Guitar Hero was sort of at its peak, one of the things we talked about was easy to play, hard to master. Right? Hmm. So super easy <laughs> to get started. Right? Sounds like my marriage. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but you know, actually marriage is a great... Why don't people walk away even though it's hard? Yeah. Right? Marriage is hard. It's not easy. I've been married for a long time. Marriage is uber hard. Right? Raising kids is hard, yet people stick around. Yes. Right? Um, but it's super easy to get into a game that's really successful. Super easy to get into. It's really hard to be successful mm-hmm. at. And super successful at. Um, that is a push-pull that is a very objective assessment of whether something is going to work in the marketplace. Um, things that are super hard to enter have very small audiences. So you want a big audience, and you know what? Big audiences are good to getting people to spend money, more people to spend it. You want people, once they're there, to spend a lot of money. Right. they got to be addicted. Addiction comes through emotion, social, and a difficulty in actually winning. Right. So you might want to check out, I don't know if you know Unruly. Mm-hmm. And so as you were sort of talking about some of the, the triggers that make people purchase, Unruly has a, um, a viral video sort of, uh, a, uh, a tracker system that helps quantify whether a video is going to go viral and it and again it goes how, what kind of emotion does the video incite how accurate what, is that and how do they figure it out um, it's it's re- they might be a really good guest for for sort of a future show it's like it's, I don't book people I can't understand <laughs> they're smarter than me no I think no. 90% <laughs> accurate and they, they, I knew there was a reason I was on <laughs> <laughs> not you you're different <laughs> but it's like ninety percent accurate, and they benchmark it across like twenty four different points. That's amazing. Like, That's awesome. But yeah, but the point is, it's like emotion is one of those things. It's whether it's good or whether it's bad. It's the sharing. It's one of them was like whether it's a sense of awe or whether there's a sense of fear. Or whether and and I think that your point to your point is it's tapping into that emotional connection. The question I have for you though is. Do you feel like all products have the ability to tap into an emotional connection? I do, and I'm going to give you a really good example. Anybody know Dollar Shave Club? Yeah. Yes. Okay? Their business has been built on a video. Right. That video, uber funny. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. great, but it's funny. Like, it's worth, it gets an emotion. Razors? Tell me how emotional razors are. (laughs) I don't know how super attached you are. My husband could. Not so emotional about (laughs) it. But people, um, men, really... Um, responded, mm-hmm. and they responded because it was funny. It was human. It was interesting. It took a category that people aren't all that emotional mm-hmm. about and made it something people really care right. about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say yes. I don't think there are some categories that are certainly harder, and certainly there are some categories where um, the how it actually works matters more than others, mm. right? But the reality is, I believe inherently you can get emotion out of almost anything. Mm. 
And so humans are emotional creatures. I'll go one step further. So another company, I just joined the board of a company called Ninja Metrics. Love these guys. Ninja Metrics? Ninja Metrics. Okay. Smartest guys I've ever worked with. I mean, they are rocket scientists in the truest sense of the word. PhDs, right? They figured out that um, they're doing analytics starting with games but across a bunch of different categories um, to figure out who you should target and how you should target them to get the most amount of money, okay? And one of the things they figured out is that people are doing it wrong. You know, people are focusing on the people that spend the most money. Well, that's great. I'm not taking anything away from that. But the most valuable players are actually the people that get other people to spend a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Right. And purchasing is a... um, objective a scientific phenomena so they went and proved that weight loss and gain occurs in geographic bunches right people affect each other's behavior hmm. not just each other's thoughts what? right right so you live around or socialize with a bunch of people who are heavy chances are you are more likely to be substantially more likely to be heavy than your counterpart who socializes with and engages with people who are thin. And it's not just groups. Within that group, there are people who actually affect those behaviors in a substantially different way than other people. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for commerce. The same is true in game spending. It is not about how vocal you are. It is about how you impact your connections and that impact, whether it is conscious or unconscious, and oftentimes it is not conscious. It's not like you're going out and saying, go spend this money. If you are involved in a game, and let's say you, Tamika, are highly social, uh, have a big impact on social behavior among your group, Mm -hmm. if you're involved in a game and you spend money, chances are everybody in your social group or substantially almost everybody in your social group will also Mm -hmm. spend money. Mm -hmm. If I, however, am not very impactful on my social network, no matter how much money I spend, I will not affect in any meaningful way the people around me. It's like the, the, the reason that marketers want to get influencers now, right? Influencer right. marketing, clout, that kind of right. thing. Right? Yeah. But unfortunately, influencers aren't always actually the folks who get people to spend money. Because influencers are defined today by how vocal they are. Mm-hmm. This is not or a how many vocal, people follow them, right? Mm-hmm. right yeah. And this is not always about. I mean, yes, having more people connected to you matters, but the strength of those connections and how those connections work matters more. So, yeah. what is super important is not just how many people follow you and how vocal you are, but because it can be analyzed, we can look and say, okay, this person may have. 10,000 followers, but guess what? 9,999 of them do nothing different as a function of following. Well, that was, you know, I I used to work for a a company that was in the gaming industry. Rhymes with Enema. And, um... (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Well, not a dig on them. Um, But no, but it was the same thing. Like, we, you know, you're talking about close to 10,000, a network of 10,000 creators, right? And when we talked about influencers, it were the ones who were going to drive engagement right not just because of mass numbers but because there's an aspirational quality to you know whether like you said either either it's subconscious or conscious that i'm drawn to be like you in some way um and i think that you you talked about it from a purchasing perspective but also look at it like in organizations right Mm -hmm. i think that's that affects culture inside of a you know inside of a company richard branson perfect example right that's one of the most exploratory companies uh, you know i can think of yep. right now you know from space you know space travels to to airlines to music to you know all just brand vomit i, I, I always say as a joke yep but you know it's sort of those clusters happen in the workplace uh, as well as like out in the market they do it and in workplaces what you get is influence and position so there's positional power, meaning I'm the guy in charge, therefore I can get people to do things because I hold the purse strings. 
and there's influence. And sometimes those things work together and sometimes they don't. Some of the most powerful people I've ever known in organizations were not positionally powerful. They were influentially powerful. They were either highly creative minds, incredibly smart, highly charismatic. Um, I often looked at people and I could tell fairly early on from people, somebody working for me whether they were likely to be really successful or not. And it didn't always have to do with how much brain power they had. Sometimes it had to do with how much drive they had. Oftentimes it had to do with how much influence they could exert in an organization. Mm. Not because they intended to, but because people wanted to follow them. Right. Organizational influence. That's a re- that's a that's a really interesting sort of facet of work workplace behavior. Well you have to look at like I I look at, you know, the burst of startups, right? They're all clusters of individuals and influence and ideas and like certain groups mesh better than others. There's some people that hop around from startup to startup or idea to idea until, you know, you kind of feel like you found that home, right? And 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 even to that point, you know, I can ask you just in terms of whether it's pivoting or like at what lengths do teams stay together, right? If if the the wheels are falling off the thing, when do you jump ship or when do you feel like, okay, we can fix this? You know, or when should you fix it? You know, I have to say that I think that the teams that stay together, even when the wheels are falling off, is because there's somebody in the organization that can help them see that the future is brighter. But I would also say that I think oftentimes people that work for startups but aren't entrepreneurs themselves are addicted to the um, adrenaline that comes from a startup. Mm-hmm. Great startups, even quite frankly, sometimes not successful ones, but who have that startup energy, it's an adrenaline rush. I know people who could never work for a big company because they love that rush, and they also love the fact that in a startup, there are no limits to what you can do. Mm-hmm. Nobody says, oh, thank you. Nobody says, um, you're just this position, so you can't touch that. Big right. organizations, that happens. It's, uh, it's yeah. right? In a startup, you want to go do that? Great, go off and do Please that. do it. Right, awesome. <laughs> right? And, and have it done tomorrow, by right. the way, just because we're moving. And now it's your responsibility. Right. right? <laughs> it became your job. Isn't right. that awesome? You raised your hand. Yes. Can I? Do you have a question? No, I, I, yeah, I mean, I do, but you go and feel free. So I wanted to say, um, what do you think... Do you think that there's there's room for innovation in marketing right now? And if so, what are some of, you know, which companies or are there like two or three brands that you think are really doing innovative stuff in terms of marketing? Yes, do I think there's always room for innovation in marketing, mm-hmm. okay? And I'd argue folks like Dollar Shave are some of the most innovative marketers I know, mm-hmm. right? They're doing nothing like quote unquote traditional marketing mm-hmm. says you should do. Mm-hmm. They're not distributing through traditional channels. They're not using traditional advertising. Um, they're definitely applying much more scientific methods to acquisition of users because they have to, mm. right? Because you know you pay for acquisition, you got to look at it versus lifetime value of a user. And guess what? Your users better be more valuable than the cost you're paying for them. Mm-hmm. So I think there's tons of room for innovation. Who do I think is doing? I actually think folks like Dollar Shave are doing a good job in um, in marketing. Um, I'm trying to think if I think of if do I think there's anybody who's really uh, sort of on a national if you think about traditional kinds of marketers mm-hmm. really breaking through and I don't know I haven't seen anything really innovative I think a lot of big companies have innovation budgets mm-hmm. and they'll go and try new forms of media right. and they'll try doing different things and sometimes you just don't see them until they start to break through and they become more of the norm um, I do think folks you know it's interesting um, Snapchat um, is a is that innovative marketing or is that an innovative product? I think it's more, I feel like that falls more on the product side, right? And I feel like there's some level of just 
organic growth to innovation, right? We, we had, um, speaking of like the Dollar Shave Club and men and, and things like that, we had um, Isaiah Mustafa on the show, who, <laughs> you know, is the old Spice guy. Yep. And, you know, it was just really interesting. Like they, they that let that- That was pretty innovative. It was. And when you say from a national brand and, you know, I can't think of anything- That's pretty innovative. Especially, but when he tells that story about how it grew from, he read a script and, you know, for the 30 second spot or whatever, and then that hit and then they added another iteration to it, then they moved it online and it, they just kind of rode the wave in a re- really smart and calculated way. Yep. They didn't plan any of it, but the team behind it, I think some innovation is just being malleable, right? Mm-hmm. And, and kind of capturing the moment. And so when he talks about that, it was it was just a really interesting, you know, when next thing you know, this character is proposing to someone's, <laughs> you know, uh, girlfriend in real life. They didn't, you, you didn't plan that, right? But the, the individuals who were involved were savvy enough to go, okay, this is a piece that we can kind of start growing from here. You know, and you know, that's not all that recent as part of the problem with using that as an example. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's hard to separate the product from the marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would argue that Snapchat has done a great job of marketing. I don't even know those guys, but I think they've yeah. done a great job of marketing. And I think some of that is just the product in itself is viral. But part of it is they were really innovative about thinking about they didn't the product itself interestingly not so innovative. It's not. No, right? yeah, no. there's nothing really. That's, new. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of no, like I yeah. Think it's not. It's not. But you know what's really innovative is they looked at the need in the market and said, okay, this social need among particularly younger consumers isn't being met. Right. And so we can create a product that's just for that. Instagram did the same thing. Is there anything truly unique about Instagram? No. Well, that's the, that's the thing about a lot of these things is like most times, especially us being sort of in the business, if you will, you you hear about something, you go, okay, like it it really does nothing for you, a because you probably have just an influx of similar products and services. But when you know the Snapchat guys were they were in, in college when they created it, right? Because they had a need and it wasn't being filled. Yep, exactly. And so I think it's it's different when you're kind of on the inside looking in, you know, from a yep. from a social tool standpoint. You're absolutely right. It's like. I want to send this, you know, dirty picture t- to somebody, but uh, I don't I want don't him to keep it. it. You know, well, I don't want to keep it. <laughs> I don't want it to just post on somebody's newsfeed, right. sort of, you know, because I don't know what it's going to happen on Facebook. Right. Um, I don't even necessarily want this kind of thing associated with me and Facebook right. because Facebook has my mom and my grandma and my aunt exactly. and my brother, and you know, not necessarily only the people I want to engage with. So. Um, Interestingly, you you know um, you and I talked on the phone, and one of the things we talked about was what's innovation. Right. And I look at it, and I was like, innovation often isn't what makes isn't something that you've never thought of before. Mm. Innovation is looking at a need or an opportunity or a want, and in my opinion, um, solving it. And you may be solving it in a way that three hundred other products solve it, but you've solved it either better, more polished, or more folk in a more focused way that makes me figure out how I can use it and use it. Right. Um, and, you know, nothing is innovative because we've said it's innovative. Things are innovative because people use them and say, oh, wow, I never thought of that before. Yeah. Or I never did it that way before. Yeah, no, for me, it's, it's, it's the, I don't know, I always look at, like, the examples of the damn, I wish I had a thought of that mm-hmm. thing. It, to me, that's always the most innovative thing because it's like, oh, of course. Like, you know, it's it's not the, the big wow thing. Like, oh, yes, you did a 3D mapping project. Like, that, that's just not going <laughs> to move the needle for me. But if I go, ah, I could have, like, I could have done it, to me, is kind of like, it's it's an every man's thing and, and then it, it kind of snowballs from there. That's exactly right. But often things that are the most innovative or at least perceived as the most innovative are also the things that, anybody 
should have been able to do because they also had the need or the want and mm. they just didn't. Right. Um, what makes an innovator or an entrepreneur successful is they look at the need or the want or the opportunity and they're willing to go after it. Yeah. They have a vision for what it could be or how to solve it that no one else has. Um, the, and the guys I love working with the most, you know, whether it's the Nindometric guys or the Machine Zone guys, in part is because exactly that. They look at it and they're like, well, I could do that. I mean, this um, Gabe Layden at Machine Zone, um, he was on phones when everybody wanted to be on Facebook because all the money was on Facebook, you know, where IO, iOS doing an iOS game was a hobby, not a business. Right. Right, because you couldn't make enough money. And he was free to play when everybody was selling games. And the context for him was, well, gosh, the only way free-to-play really works is if you can play all the time. And the only device people have all the time on them is a phone. So whether it's now or three years from now, this is the device where free-to-play is going to be big. Right. Mm. Um, and, you know, anybody could have seen that. And in fact, it's simple. People so have seen that, right? right? <laughs> so obvious. But, you know, there were very few people who were there early and first and now are making all the money in the industry. Mm. Right. That's awesome. Um, along those lines, um, are there any, you know, the show is called Innovation Crush, yep. right? You, you know that. Um, you know that too. Yeah. I talked we, about innovation. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> are, is there a particular trend or thing that you see out there that you like, wow, that, you know, it could be a product, a service, aside from Snapchat and, you know, yeah, I the get other, it. <laughs> but, you know, is there something out there that you're crushing on personally? That I'm personally crushing on. Um, no, I've got to think about that for a You've second. You've seen I'm it all. Sorry, no, no, I definitely haven't. <laughs> I definitely haven't seen it all. I'm just trying to think if there's anything. I'm really into analytics right now, which I know is not sexy and cool. But well, thank you everybody for another episode of Innovation Crush. Um, but you no. know, part of what I'm crushing on right now is Nindometrics, like this whole yeah. concept of social behavior is affected by our social engagement. Yeah. Um, in a way that people haven't thought of before and can be measured and analyzed and objectively um, quantified. I'm pretty much crushing on that. I think that's cool. I think that is analytics in a way no one has ever looked at it mm -hmm. before. Yeah. Um, I was pretty blown away that for the first time ever, a mobile game was um, connected to the Super Bowl. I don't know if anybody saw it, but in the pregame show, um, Supercell advertised. No, I didn't know Really? That. I didn't so know So advertised in the pregame show for the Super Bowl. You know what? Um, Western free-to-play mobile games are going to start to spend money the same way traditional video games have. Hmm. And they're just, they're getting to be just as big. Um, you know, you're gonna see not just huge valuations, but huge money being made. And so, and it's starting to happen. And so, you know, that's not a crushing wow, that's really cool. I just think it's cool from a marketing standpoint that you've got things coming out that are solely mobile, that are never, not anything else, they're only available on mobile, that right. are free to play or, or free to engage with, that are now. Economically, economically at a place where you're going to see the kind of marketing you've seen from traditional businesses mm. on a big scale. Right. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's really interesting. And I think it also leads to IP development. So those IPs become more valuable. Brands essentially become more valuable because that IP stands for something beyond just the game itself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's just that willingness to take the risk, you know, yeah, yeah. along the way. Um, so take this conversation and breathe it all in. Yep. Whew. All right. Um, and finish this phrase for me. You've done it already, but I, I just I want you to kind of step back and, th and think about it. Um, innovation to me is? Innovation to me is seeing a problem, an opportunity, a way things can be better, doing something about it, and then making it the best it can be to do it. And it's not really more complicated than that. Innovation isn't just doing something cool. It's doing something cool that actually people want to use. Right. That's innovative. Um, and so that's what it is to me. 
That's great. Anthony, what are you are you playing the game over there? Are you are you mobile are you doing a free to play game right now? Good. <laughs> <laughs> flapping bird. What, 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 I was gonna say, do you play flapping bird? Oh, yeah. What is that? What is flapping bird? Yeah, I, was just, I keep seeing it on Facebook. Does that do anything with flappers? It's a total rip Is it like Mario? No. Mario, where it's are you like from? A Mar- game. Mario with the. You are from New York. With the you know, pipes. Yeah, you know, yeah. but it's 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 uh, more like Where's Your Water. Where's Your Water is a Disney game. Oh, okay. Anyway. Wow, you're good. You're you're good. Um, so I want to thank you for coming. I'm looking at this flapper flapping bird game. His name is starting. It's a total rip It's telling me to get ready. It's and total it's like, rip I thought it was a joke. My kids play it. Of course, my son plays everything. So. Oh, game over. I already lost. <laughs> <laughs> you are not very good at it. <laughs> I guess not. I'm not. I'm no flapping bird. You're no flapping bird. Um, but thank you thank for you. for stopping by. My you pleasure. Know. Yeah, this is great. Uh, Tamika, you have any final words of wisdom? No, this was awesome. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to meet you guys in person. So and yeah, really. To meet you, Tamika, and this was awesome. So thank you very much. Yep. All right, everybody. This has been another episode of Innovation Crush. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleisinger, Schleisinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and 3 comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.